It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest episode of the Giants huddle podcast. My name is John Schmelk. Today, he helps run the scouting portion of the East-West Shrine game. He is Eric Galco from Optimum Scouting. But first, a reminder, you can find the Giants Little Podcast on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. And folks, you might have noticed that draft season did not pop up on your Giants Little Podcast feed this week. Well, that's because it's on its own separate podcast feed now. Go find it. Search for draft season. And you can also find it, of course, on all those giant platforms as well. Eric, it's good to talk to you. I've been a big fan of your work for a couple of years, man. Thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm great, man. It's it's we're a month away from the NFL draft, man. It's exciting. Yeah, it absolutely is. What do you think those first four picks are going to look like before the Giants get on the board at five and the fun begins here in East Rutherford? You know, it's funny. I think I think the top 20, I feel like I have a good pulse on, whereas the top four, I'm not positive on as crazy <laughs> as that sounds, because I think, you know, it feels like confidently Aiden Hutchinson would be the first overall pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But the Detroit Lions have a, a, a maybe a needed edge rusher, maybe a need at safety and for the number two overall pick, too. I believe that Malik Willis very much in play for them and the number two overall pick at quarterback and then the Texans edge rusher or safety guys like Trevon Walker or Kyle Hamilton at threes. And then the New York jets obviously have some offensive line help. Maybe Evan Neal's a fit there. Maybe they go edge rusher. So I think five through 20 is almost easier to project after one through four, but I think we'll see at least one or two defensive linemen go in the top four picks. And I think a quarterback at two overall. Yeah. And I think Eric, it kind of speaks to this draft class, right? Where you don't have those blue chip, can't miss guys like you usually have. Like I've said this on a couple different podcasts. You know, I was at the combine and and talked to a bunch of different people. If you take the top seven or eight position players from last year, they're probably all in the top 10 of this year's position player class, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for us internally, you know, if you take out the quarterbacks, because they're always a different animal, we've got 12 guys with basically the same grade. And and none of those guys reach the level of a Miles Garrett or Jadavion Clowney or, or Khalil Mack. And that's not to say that I don't think Aiden Hutchinson can be very good, but it's one of those draft classes where, honestly, if you can go from 1 to 11 and you have similar grades, you might as well do it. So I think there's a lot of parity in the top 10, 15 part of the draft for sure. So you think Malik Willis would, <clears throat> is definitely going to be the first QB off the board based on what I believe Malik Willis is a special quarterback prospect. I, I got a chance. I watched him last year. I called up. Quincy Avery and Sean McAvoy, who he works with a year ago, saying, hey, this guy could be special next year. I watched him work out in June. I, I felt Malik Willis. I, I told a lot of people, hey, back in June, Malik can be the first pick in the draft unless the first pick in the draft has a franchise quarterback. Then he'll be the second pick in the draft. I've said that for a while and happened to work out that way this year with the Detroit Lions. So I, I'm not saying that the Lions are absolutely going to take him. I think Malik is special and special quarterbacks go early. And I think if he doesn't go too I doubt he lasts until, you know, the teens or 20s. Like I see sometimes on Twitter, he's going to go early. He's that special a quarterback prospect. Now, I do think it's important he winds up in the right spot, though, right? Because if you try to rush him onto the field, that could get ugly fast. You know, a lot of the, you know, yeah. zone coverages, middle of the field, disguises, things like that. That could there could be issues there. So it's very important, at least for me, that he gets to a spot where they're going to be patient, train him right and teach him and not put him out there before he's ready. Yeah, I, I, I can I can speak to Malik saying, hey, he's he's no dummy. He can handle NFL concepts. He just wasn't asked to do it a whole lot exactly. in college. And that's the big focus thing for him getting into the NFL. I know, I know you kind of said that as well. I think for Malik, he has 
he's corrected some bad habits. I think he still has some bad habits. That's the benefit of sitting behind a quarterback like Jared Goff a little bit, where, hey, you can kind of learn from a distance at first and not be forced out there right away and to make habits and, and kind of lead yourself down a strand. That happened with Sam Darnold for the Jets, for example, where kind of bad habits become ingrained so much that they're hard to kind of fix. So I think you're right. I think Malik would benefit for sure, not sitting for maybe a whole Trey Lance redshirt year, but I think sitting for a little while and not feeling pressure to play can be great for Malik. But again, I think Malik's going to be a special quarterback. And again, if not two, maybe a team in the back end of the top 10 moves up to go get a guy like Malik. He's that impressive. Yeah, to your point, he just has to see it. Like he can figure yeah. it out once he experiences. He just has to experience it. And you don't experience at Liberty the stuff you can experience on an NFL field. 100% agree. You talk about a potential team trading up here. The Giants, I think, would like to try to accumulate some more picks. Will a team you think be trying to jump Carolina to the Giants' fifth spot? Or is it more trying to jump Seattle and Atlanta, who now have quarterback needs for the, for the Giants' pick at number seven? Yeah, I think it's it, you could want to jump up. I think a team outside that top 12 to 14 picks may want to jump up significantly, right? That is only in the top 10, unless it's for a quarterback. Because, again, after that top 11, 12 picks, there is a slight drop-off. And, again, it's not a very top-heavy draft class talking to people on the league. It really is a top 10, 12 picks, and then a drop-off to, like, the 25, 30 areas. So maybe a team like the New Orleans Saints, for example, maybe need a left tackle going up from, from 18 to 5 and being aggressive there to get one of those Evan Neal, Ikiakau, or uh, – or Charles Cross in that top five or seven pitch to the New York Giants as well, too. So I think we're more likely to see a team trading there. It's a deep edge class. I think you can kind of wait until pick 15, 16 to get a good edge player if you want to trade up. But if you want a top offensive tackle, you probably have to be in the top six, seven picks to do so. I think if a team like the Giants is comfortable with Andrew Thomas and like who they have, maybe they can move down and benefit from a team like the Saints or somebody else uh, who made the left tackle pretty badly. So that's probably the one I'm looking for when it comes to trading down from the top five or seven picks overall. It might not be left tackle. I think the Chargers have such a dire needed right tackle. Could I could be. see them being a team, too, that might want to, you know. I think they're done with the Storm Norton experience at right tackle. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see if that's it. And it's been an arms race in the AFC West. We'll see if, if they decide to try to do right. something to uh, try to keep up. Are you convinced at this point that Trayvon Walker's going to be the first edge off the, cl off the board and not Kayvon Thibodeau? After Ed Hutchinson? I think so. And, yeah, and I, I think Trayvon is extremely intriguing. Kayvon Thibodeau is immensely talented. He's probably the closest when it comes to being one of those elite players of any player in this entire draft class. If you told me Kayvon Thibodeau's number one guy, unquestionably, I wouldn't even balk at that because I think he has that type of flash and, and, and talent. But it does seem that way. It does seem, talking with teams, that Trayvon has a good chance to be maybe the second, maybe the third overall pick. If not there, he won't last much longer either. I think the athletic upside is too appealing to bring up. And a lot of people have mentioned Danelle Hunter or the, the edge rush to the Ravens draft a year ago where you're saying, hey, production's not there, but the athletic talent's there. And athletic talent usually pays off most when it comes to edge rushers. So I think teams are saying, hey, even though he didn't produce, it was Georgia, which has a lot of talented players in that defensive yeah. front seven. Maybe that's why he didn't produce and still going early. So it feels like he's going to be the next edge rusher up. And then I think Jermaine Johnson of Florida State and Kayvon Thibodeau are in the mix for who's going to be the third edge rusher. It could be a pretty deep class this year in the top 10, 12 picks edge rusher. Now I'm with you. How, how do you parse the top three, or, or maybe for you it's four, offensive tackles in this class with Neil, Equanu, Cross? I know some people have pinning that high on I think he's more of a guy in the teens for me. 
But how do you kind of parse those three, four guys at the top of the tackle class? Yeah, I think the cool part about Evan Neal and Charles Proctorico is they can play and they have played left and right tackle. And that's super valuable for teams right away for, for the Giants team that may say, hey, Andrew's our left. Let's take a, a guy who can play right tackle. The Jets, the same thing. Hey, they have Charles Fan, or, uh, Charles Fan who play both. Uh, George Fan, I'm sorry, who could play both left and right tackle. Maybe they want to have the other player play left or right tackle too. So having two offensive tackles with real versatility. And then Icky can play left guard or left tackle. I think he's signed a guard, probably the best of any of these offensive linemen day one in the NFL. So, hey, he could be an elite guard and then become a left tackle in the future as well, too. So us personally, internally, um, we have Evan Neal one, Icky two, and Charles Cross three, but they're all very, very close. And that's why I think all three will be taken by pick pick seven, whether the Giants take one of them or they trade down. I think those three guys are that a, a cut above of a, of a guy like Trevor Penning. So you don't have any because the one thing when I look at these guys, I feel comfortable with you know Aquano and Neil with the position flex. I feel good Aquano, kind of a power right tackle too. You don't have any concerns about asking Charles Cross to go out there and play outside at right tackle. That that would not no, be something been, that you worry about. He's been working on that this offseason. And I, I know the way he moves both left and right, you know, he's got a really impressive lateral mobility and range on film, but you could see him kick back to the right side. So naturally, he's been working on that for sure. I know teams that feel comfortable with him at right tackle. So if you're tackling the best right tackle, it'd be Evan Neal first and foremost, not over Charles Cross. But if I say which guys can play both, I think Neal and Cross can play left and right tackle right away in the NFL. Interesting. Does the system Cross came from in college raise any concerns for you, or is that not something you even worry about? I, it does a little bit. It's it's almost like the Malik Willis discussion where just because he hasn't done it in college doesn't mean he can't do it in the NFL. And I think that's one of the things you have to worry about or not worry about, think about with Charles Cross. But but again, he, the ability to pass protect is most important in the NFL. If you can pass protect, a lot of guys, if they're mentally able to do it, can run block at a high level with more coaching and time. And you talk to Duke Manyweather, he'll tell you every player gets way better at run blocking their first two or three years in the league. You just kind of get experience doing it. It's the best way to get better is by doing it. Whereas pass blocking is a little more athletically inclined. So Charles Cross is definitely athletically inclined to play left or right tackle with his kick slide and mobility, his base as he kind of gets out in space, really, really impressive. But I think that the system transition may be a little bit of, of time to wait to look at. But again, I look at the New Orleans Saints when they took Marcus Davenport as an edge rusher from a unique system and took him really early because of that kind of uniqueness. I think Charles Cross the same way where, hey, he may not be an obvious fit to play right away, but he's so athletically gifted that we'll bank on him maybe struggling the first half of his rookie year and then being a really good left tackle for us early on. Obviously, a big story has been Kyle Hamilton's 40 times, whether at the combine or at his pro day. <laughs> now, what people don't like to bring up is that his other testing at the NFL combine was pretty darn good. Like his jumps were yeah. good. His explosive testing was fine. Now that you've seen the 40 time and you think back to the tape and on your scouting process on him, do you see that show up at all? Or is just, or is this just a classic game speed versus shorts and t-shirt speed type of deal? Yeah. I'm going to sound like Kyle Hamilton's agent here for a second. I'm not sure who that is, but I'll do his job for him. <laughs> but if you watch the 40 time at the combine, he actually runs like 45 yards. He zigzags the whole way down. Yeah. And, and that Notre Dame's pro day, all the guys ran slower than the combine, which tells me that maybe it's a slower track. So again, I'm not trying to do his excuse for him, but I don't think he's a four, seven guy. I would say he's a low four, six, high four, five, which by the way, is what a lot of people expect of him, right? He's not a four, four safety. That's not how he plays. And I think the most important thing for Kyle Hamilton, you mentioned the other testing results, his real value is his change of direction, his burst, his acceleration downhill and vertically, right? If you're able to be in position 
A and clicking close or get vertical very quickly, your speed's not as important because you're making up with reaction skill. That's why I've known about Kyle Hamilton. And again, I, if someone told me he was their top player or their 14th best player, I wouldn't balk either one of them. But I think he's absolutely in the mix to be, hey, he's very similar in terms of Aiden Hutchinson. Hutchinson tested well, but he's also maybe a bit limited what he can do in space and as a traditional edge rusher. But people feel very confident that Hutchinson's going to be at least an B-plus to A-minus edge rusher. Same thing for Kyle Hamilton. You'd be crazy to tell me watching the film that he's not going to be an above-average NFL starter. Is he Harrison Smith? Maybe not. But it very least can be above average starter. I think it, I think he still goes in the top four or five picks. I don't buy the whole lot of the top ten. I think the Lions may take him. The Texans have a need for him. Certainly the, the, both New York teams could use a safety like him. So I think he'll be – a lot of teams may want him in the top ten picks. I don't think he'll last to the pick 11, 12 like I've seen post-40-time gate uh, for Kyle Hamilton. So How about safety role? Because, Eric, I do think – you call guys safety now, but safeties are asked to do so many different things. You almost have to yeah. specify. And it's not even just free and strong anymore. You're right. Yeah. So I don't think I feel comfortable with him covering a wide receiver in the slot. I think he's a little too long. I don't like the, ch- you know, changing direction of space left to right. Not vertically. Go. Yeah. yeah. Vertically. Yes. I think that's fine. So do you see him as more of a guy that's going to be more in that robber box role in like, you know, a classic cover three type of zone? Do you see him more as a split high safety or see your single high safety in a cover three? What do you think his ideal role is when he does get to the NFL level? I think his ideal role is actually that that split safety cover two look, which happens to be what the Houston Texans play on running this year. For, uh, for for Lovey Smith and, and number three and number 12 overall, which is why I think Houston's a really interesting fit for him because I think he can he can still transition upfield really quickly and really explosive, which is important for a too-high look, but also can make outstanding plays in the hole on the corner or working upfield or stopping those dig routes. Like, that's what he's really, really good at on film at Notre Dame. I think he can still do the in-the-box stuff for sure, but again, I wouldn't say he's going to be someone I want to trust coverage-wise for long distances, right? He's a guy that can play there, do a little press, and then play like an underneath cover three type role. Um, not the vertical guy, but the underneath safety as well, too. So coverage-wise, I think he's more of a linebacker when it comes to playing man defense, right? I kind of want to look at him as a linebacker more than a, a nickel or, or a free safety. But I think he can do a whole lot. I think when you have the instincts that he has and the change direction and burst, we kind of want to say, like, hey, what's the – how do you beat him? Sure. If he's going against Tyreek Hill, he's going to lose. I agree. Right. But he can still match up with guys like Elijah Moore on most reps in the short area the whole game. No, but most reps he can. But I think his impact is really on being that almost secondary defender, that help defender when it's right. a, a man coverage or whatever else. That's where he's really going to thrive at, as well as being a high impact, you know, perimeter run game defender as well, too. So, again, the impact of Kyle Hamilton and two high looks, especially, but really across the board is more than just singular isolated plays. But it's really, hey, he can impact your defense in a whole lot of ways. Yeah, and I think he'll be fine against tight ends. So you want to man him up on a tight yeah. end, you'll you'll be with, with his size and length. I think he'll be just fine in the NFL. I think that the 40 time stuff is getting pretty common now. He's he's well liked. He's going to be just fine in the NFL. Yeah, look, I agree. I, I I think him and Hutchinson are similar is that they're both very safe yeah. prospects. And and in a draft, and I guess this will be before we start getting, digging a little deeper here, I think this might be a draft, Eric, where if you try to manufacture a star player that's not there, that's going to get you into trouble. I think if you just see a good football player and you know he's going to be good for you, even though he might not be a five-time All-Pro, just pick the guy. Because this is when if you try to you know find somebody that's really not there and project onto a player – that's when you're going to get yourself and that player into trouble by raising unrealistic expectations. Yeah. I mean, first off, I buy the dip on Kyle Hamilton if, it's, if I've been clear that verdict too. But I think for Houston, it's a great example because they, 
they really need an edge rusher to safety Houston, right? And they're picking number three overall, and they're going to probably have their pick, of maybe, depending on what the Detroit Lions do, of Trayvon Walker and Kyle Hamilton, or Kayvon Thibodeau, they like him as well, too. And Kayvon has been inconsistent on and off the field. People have reported that quite a bit. Trayvon didn't produce, but both those guys have really high ceilings. But if you're a Houston team that really needs maybe established, strong players, right, veteran that you can trust, do you want to bet on the two good athletes or a guy like Kyle Hamilton? I can make an argument for both, but you kind of raise that question. It's a really good one for especially a team like Houston consider saying, hey, we need to have a franchise changing, maybe defensive player here third overall. Who's a better fit, the guy like Kyle Hamilton or Walker or Thibodeau? I don't know the answer to that question. I think Houston maybe not as well either, but that's where Kyle Hamilton debate kind of really comes into play. Yeah, you know, and I think with the Giants too, right? This is a new regime. It's a new general manager. Yeah. It's It's a new head coach. You know, the players you bring in, you not only want to be good players, but you also want them to represent what your team's going to be about, right? So important. And to be the guy that when you draft the player next year, the year after, oh, well, we have Kyle in the locker room. We have player X in the locker room. And those are the guys you draft this year to teach them how you want us to play. So when you're looking for that type of player, who are the guys that you think Giant fans might should keep an eye on either at five or seven or even a little bit deeper in the draft guys that just kind of, you know, fit that character you would want to start building a program. Yeah. It's super important because what it does from a roster building standpoint, it allows you to kind of not worry about that whole position group, right? Hey, if I have Kyle Hamilton, I'll keep him one more time is maybe my free safety can be a younger guy, or I can do that by, you know, in the aggregate of about three or four guys. So that comes up for sure. Ahmad Gardner as a top tier guy comes out as well. He's so long, so physical. I think we kind of over, do the whole leave him on an island type discussion, but I think he can absolutely do that um, for your opposite team, opposite corner as well. I think Jordan Davis is that way as well, right? I think people are underselling how impactful Jordan Davis will be at the NFL level. If I have Jordan Davis, I can just use day three picks on my five techniques and I can be okay for maybe his whole career um, in, in the NFL, right? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have seen Vita Vea. Vita fact. Vea, you got um, it. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's huge, right? Vita Vea and Shaquille Barrett, the rest of the defensive front seven is, is gravy at that point. So those two guys jump out. Beyond that, there are some interior offensive line. I think can really do that. Guys like um, Zion Johnson of Boston College is a guy that, hey, he's so smart, so impressive, can play guard and center. Again, the versatility is, is sometimes overblown with first-round picks, but for a team like the Titans or the Bills who may say, short-term, we got to play here, but long-term, you can play a couple spots. That's a really intriguing position as well, too. Um, plenty of those three guys jump out as like high-character guys who are also going to be pillars to allow teams to have, especially teams rebuilding their rosters, real flexibility. One of the guys I think people all over the place on, and the Giants, unless they trade down, probably are not going to be in the position to pick this player. But I'm just curious your take, because I, I respect your scouting acumen. Tyler Linderbaum, obviously his tape is fantastic. But yeah. the arms thing, I know people worry about. The Iowa tape, though, he, he basically moves people. He does what he wants. How much does the arm length thing worry you? And, and how do you think he's going to translate? Is he really a scheme-specific, you better be an outside zone team if you're going to pick him type of type of guy or, or do you think he can do a lot more than other people are giving him credit for it's it's a lot of margin for error right for offense along with shorter arms you can't make mistakes in your footwork really ever at the nfl level now when you're that you know short of arms and tyler doesn't make a lot of mistakes didn't make a lot of mistakes at iowa there are some plays where you can see him get blown up and you see that you know lesser fringe nfl talents are really beating him to a spot as his own blocker in space or, you know, attacking his a gap and, and getting him a little off balance and then countering on him. So those things really do come up, but, but I think talking to the O-line coach on the league as well, too, 
for the ones we, he is a scheme fit for, ones that want to run a lot more zone blocking schemes and not necessarily be as man one-on-one um, in isolation with them as well. Teams that don't play as many, you know, heavy nose tackle teams, I think it's important for Tyler to keep in mind too, right? Him against Jordan Davis for a whole game, that's going to be, you know, Jordan Davis is going to win that battle most times, um, like he will against most centers in the league to, to Tyler's defense. But I think for, for Tyler, it's it's that margin of error. I think for teams, he's going to be kind of your third offensive lineman. What I mean by that is if he's your third best guy, you can, I think, make up for a lot of maybe the deficiencies or the inconsistencies they'll be having. If he's your number one or number two guy, it's really hard to build an offensive line group around that you can really trust. But if you've got a left tackle and a right guard that can kind of support and and take some pressure off and, and make those guys on islands and help your you know left guard helping Tyler whatever else, a lot of O line coaches feel that hey he's going to need some chip help uh, with running backs and left guards and right guards. But I think all things considered, he is the best center in this class. He is number two in terms of interior offensive line in this class. Talking to most teams behind Zion Johnson. But I think overall, he is going to be an NFL starter. And finding NFL-quality starters in the offensive line, those guys are worth first-round picks every day. It's why we'll see some surprise guys go first round. If you can start games in the NFL, you're making $15 million a year, or you're on a rookie deal, and that's a really, really valuable contract. So it's funny. Uh, let me just ask a follow-up based on the point you made there at the end of your statement. You think Zion, for most teams, has jumped ahead of Kenyon Green as the top interior offensive yeah. lineman in the draft class? I think so. I think I think Kenyon can do some tackle stuff as well, which is really appealing to teams as well, too. I think it's probably close. I, I, Zion, Kenyon Green, if you count Tyler Smith from Tulsa as an interior guy, um, I think they're all in the mix. But I think they're all going to go in the first round. Um, I don't think any of those guys get past the 24th through 26th that, what's that, the Cowboys, Bills, Titans area, yeah. all those guys could use an interior offensive line, but I think all three of those guys are gone either well before or at that point. So it could be a a take your pick. I think Zion's pretty impressive off the field. Uh, IQ wise can do the center stuff, which I think is really, really valuable. And I think Kenyon Green and Tyler Smith are more of those left tackles, left guards type prospects as well too. But all three of those guys are going to go pretty early in all the top 25, 26 picks. No, I'm with you. I'm 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 on I'm on Team Zion there as well. All right, let let's jump to the Giants second round pick here. Uh, They pick fourth overall in round number two. Where do you see the depth in this class, Eric, where you're going to get the highest quality player? Is it is it edge? Do you think there might be a, a tackle left or, you know, where do you think you're going to have the value on the board at the top of that second round? Yeah, I wouldn't bet on tackle. Um, I just again, I wouldn't wait on tackles. If you want to tackle, you take one early because, again, first round offensive line, they're probably the best best value in terms of any draft pick you can have right now, maybe next to edge rusher. Um, I would say by the top of round two. Uh, finding a skill position guy, quarterback or tight end. It may be a bit early there, but really that run on tight end is going to happen in the middle part of the second round. Guys like Charlie Kolar or Jeremy Rucker or Jelani Woods are all going to be in the mix when it comes to the 40s, 50s. And I think every team has a tight end one on their board. Every team does, obviously. And they're all and different, tight probably, end, right? <laughs> they're all different for sure. And that's where it's like, hey, if you want your best tight end in the draft, you probably should take them in the 40s, 50s. You're already, you know, it's already kind of gravy getting your best guy to position. So I think tight end will be a really appealing day two, day two pick, but maybe it's a little bit too early for the second round. But but I would say the depth is really going to be corner and safety at that early part of day two. That's where I expect the Giants and a lot of teams to look at because of guys like Jaquan Brisker, Lewis Seen, Kirby Joseph, Nick Cross are there at safety. And then corner, whoever kind of falls out of round one, guys like here, Elam, et cetera, will be there at the top of round two. How many corners do you think go in round one? Uh, at least four. 
Um, and I think it could be more again, just based off draft trends, the back end of round one is almost always O-line and DBs because yep. every team can use those. Every playoff team is always saying, if I had one more guard or I had one more DB. So I think we'll see a lot of those guys go late round one, but I'd say, you know, certainly sauce Gardner and, uh, Trent McDuffie and Derek Sting will all go round one. And then after that, at least one more guy too. Yeah. So how, how do you so- sort between then the, the boots um, yeah, and Booth as well. Drives yeah, the fourth. Yes, he'd be a guy that could jump there too. So, who who are the guys that you particularly like in that next tier of cornerbacks that you think could develop into a starter? Because I think the Giants could be in the Sauce Gardner business early yeah. in this draft, but they could pick an OT and an edge. So, if they're looking for a corner there, who are the guys you particularly like in that next group? Yeah, I think Kair Elam is really impressive. I think he's still underappreciated right now. I think he's got immense talent. He's got enough length. He can play in the perimeter. He can do some press stuff as well. He's a good athlete. I think he had the bloodline, certainly, um, with him playing in the NFL. And I think he he's a guy I, I've, I've started doing more mock drafts, peeking around uh, around the draft Twitter world. I don't see him nearly enough in terms of first-round mock drafts. I think he's really appealing. Uh, Sauce's teammate, Kobe Bryant, uh, really appealing guy. Um, Kalen Barnes at Baylor really fast. He's going to go somewhere in the middle part of day two. He broke the record or almost broke the record of the NFL combine uh, with his top end speed. Jalen Armour Davis of Alabama. Um, a lot of these guys, Roger McCreary of Auburn, these guys are not really thought about too much as those early second round picks or even mid to late second round picks. But again, that's such a position of value and the depth in this class is not very good. If you want a guy who can be a, a starter or a nickel for you, you probably have to pick that guy by the early part of round three or else you're not going to find that guy later. It's not the deepest of positions at corner if you're looking for starters, which is why I think teams, you may see some surprise DB goes early. And again, we've seen the last couple of years, guys like Tyson Campbell of Georgia, not talked about a whole lot leading up to the draft, but teams were fighting to get him at 33 overall for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Javon Holland of Oregon, same thing. So again, DBs are always in demand at the early part of, of round two. All right. How about those edge guys that might not go yeah. in the first round? Let's talk like, you know, you have the two Penn State guys, um, Abikiti and the other guy, the name is escaping me. Lucetta. Lucetta, thank you. Um, yeah. You got the kid from San Diego State, right? You got the kid from USC. Uh, Boy, Mafe, a lot of people think might get out of the first round. We'll see. How do you kind of sort through that next tier of edge rushers? that aren't going to be top 15 picks, but could drop down into that 30 to 40 range. Yeah, Ebiketti will go in the first round. I'd be shocked if he doesn't. Um, he's he's really talented, really well-liked by teams, high-character kids still ascending. I think there's enough teams that need edge rushers. And again, the top top five or six edge guys will all go in the top 15 picks. So if you need an edge rusher after pick 15, Ebiketti's kind of your next guy up. Um, but you mentioned Boy Mafe. I think he'll be a, a very appealing guy at the top of round two. You know, high upside, still developing, really, really impressive athlete. He'll be at the top of round two. Some teams are, are split. Um, Majai Sanders of Cincinnati, uh, a little weight fluctuation stuff over his college career. Can he play in the NFL at 250 or is he more of a 240, 235 guy? Which, again, some teams prefer that. Um, lighter guys versus heavier guys. But he has some fans in the league. Cam Thomas, almost the opposite. He's almost a heavy edge rusher as well too so amari barno tested very well at the nfl combine he'll be appealing so i think those are the guys that we're talking about on top of the top of round two and i think we'll see a lot of them go in the early part of round one which means maybe those teams that are picking early round two don't need an edge rusher as much so as crazy as it sounds it'll be one of the deeper positions on day two but those guys might fall to the 40s or 50s just because the Jaguars don't need one. They just took one at one, right? Maybe the, the Seattle Seahawks don't need one. They took one at eight or nine. So I think we could see the edge rushers slip into the 40s or 50s, but still a lot of good talent there. But again, that's a position that by the time you get to middle to late part of day two, you're kind of out of 
starter or even third best edge rusher on your team to help. You're breaking my heart because I love Epichetti. I think he's great, and I would love for <laughs> yeah. him to get the round two, but I guess not. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's see the Giants looking for a guard. They, they kind of signed a bunch of stopgap veterans here to play center and guard for the next couple of years, trying to be competent on the offensive line, which would be nice. Uh, but you want to try to get some long-term answers there. So they have two, two third-round picks. Who are some of the center guard combo guys versatile, either you know one of the other two that works that you could get in, you think, round three or even ra- early round four, given the you know depth of this class in general? Yeah, I'll give you a few. One is uh, Cordell Volson of North Dakota State. He's going to go in the top 100 picks. He's played left tackle, right tackle, almost career guard. There are offensive line coaches who, who valued him more last year and this year over Dylan Radens, who was a second-round pick for the Tennessee Titans. Wow, okay. um, a lot of that's because of the versatility, the power run ability, which the, the Giants want to get back to a little bit. And I think the versatility to play guard and tackle, he did both of the East-West Shrine Bowl. I think that's really appealing for a, a Giants team looking to kind of retool. You mentioned the flexibility. Zach Tom of Wake Forest, a really, really good athlete, really impressive player. He's played left tackle. He can play center. I think he can offer a lot of value short term for the Giants to be kind of a utility man across the offensive line, uh, but then certainly can play center long term. And then Alec Lindstrom of Boston College, um, brother of Chris Lindstrom, plug and play NFL center. I was at the Boston College Pro Day. There were six, seven, eight offensive line coaches there alone for him and Zion. And I think a lot of teams feel Lindstrom can come in right away, whether it's a third round pick or a fifth round pick. NFL starter on day one. So I think if you're looking for a plug and play starter after the top two, three rounds in the offensive line, Lindstrom be my pick for a team like the Giants. Uh, you mentioned tight ends. If you want to get your guy, pick him in round yeah. two. But maybe you want a guy. Who's it? Who's a yeah. guy that might still be available in on day three now? We're talking fourth, fifth round. That isn't going to come in and you know catch 60 balls, but you can trust the block a little bit in the run game. You can pass pro a little bit. You know, he can run an eight-yard hitch and, you know, run a little option route. Uh, who are some of the tight ends that you think, you know, could step in and help you at least uh, as an early day three pick? Well, I, some guys I've seen on those PFF mock draft people post out there, Jelani Woods of Virginia, he's not going to be there on late day three. He'll be an early day two guy. He'd be a great fit for, I think, what Brian Dable wants to do. But, again, he'll be a guy that's a pick in the 30s as opposed to right. the, the 90s or, or 100s. But uh, a couple guys that jump out. One, Daniel Bellinger of San Diego State. We value him really, really highly, but he's a complete tight end, really athletic. He can do those stick routes. He, he looks like a young Kyle Rudolph a lot of times on film. I think he can be a plug-and-play starter for the Giants. He'll be somewhere in a late day two, early day three, that round three, four area. Um, uh, you look at more of a fullback H-back guy who can really block really well. Chigozimo Kongwo from Maryland, very well liked around the league. His pro day at Maryland is this week, um, but impressive athlete, solid hands catcher, but can be really effective. H-back kind of tight end two for you somewhere late day two, early day three. Um, Derek Deese of San Jose State, strong blocker, strong C-route player, was a combine snub. Surprisingly, a lot of teams have late day two, early day three grades on him as well, but kind of a complete tight end. But that's one of the deeper positions in this draft. And I would say for a team, especially like New York, maybe has multiple needs at tight end, which is pretty rare across the league. This is the kind of the draft to double up on those guys. You could take Bellinger in the in the fourth and Lucas Kroll of Pitt in the sixth right. and be really happy with your tight end room leaving the draft. I hate to say the wide receiver class is deep, Eric, because the wide receiver class is deep every year now. It's just an endless yeah. stream of seven-on-seven seven wide receivers that have been doing this stuff their whole life, right? I mean, there's just a million of these guys now. So if, if you're the Giants and you're looking for some help, you already used a first-round pick on Kadarius Tony, invested all this money in Kenny Galladay. So it might not be a premium need, but if you're looking for something day three at wide receiver, who are some of the guys that you think – could fall and be productive, even though they're not a you know top you know three round pick. 
Yeah, I think the intro for the Giants is that receiver room right now, they definitely want special teams guys, right? Because Darius Slayton's been there, but he's not going to be there too much longer. And right. Sterling Shepard and Kenny Galladay aren't playing special teams. Same thing for Darius Tony. He's a returner, but he can't be your gunner. So I think finding guys on day three, if I was a Giants fan, look at guys who have played special teams or can do it at a high level. A couple guys jump out that may be our guys to check out. One is Josh Johnson of Tulsa. He's played Z, X, and slot receiver for Tulsa and special teams. Really longer, athletic, but really good route runner. He's a guy that could be kind of a utility player and play on special teams. Tanner Connor, sleeper from Idaho State. Trust me, Idaho State, 6'3", 220, runs in the four threes, jumps a 40-inch vert, like a really, really impressive athlete. Um, I think a lot of teams are appealed by him. Stanley Berryhill, he can be a returner. He's a gunner at Arizona. All three guys, I think, are really, really appealing as far as those day three guys that could be special teams guys as well as versatile receivers. See, this is why we wanted Eric on. He does the stay on it for E-West Shrine. This is his wheelhouse, guys. And we talked a bunch of yeah. these, you know, top, you know, top Idaho State. Where are you yeah. going to get that from? No, you're not. Exactly. Um, same deal with running back. You know, you can yeah. find running backs up and down the board every year. If you know what you're looking for and he fits what you do. So based on what you know about Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, they both come from pretty heavy zone schemes from, you know, where they've come from. Who are some of these late round running backs, you know, fifth, sixth round, fourth round that, that you think can step in and maybe not be a three down back, but can and help you in a way on the field. Yeah, I mean, when, when Brian and, and Joe Schoen were in Buffalo, they kind of did it by committee, although I'm not sure it's really worked out in Buffalo too much. I think Buffalo wants a running back as well. So I'm, I'm not sure if they want to go the committee route or kind of be jack-of-all-trades for their whole running back group. But but a couple guys jump out. What yeah, Abram Smith of Baylor um, is a really intriguing former linebacker turned running back. I, I'm not sure teams love him in terms of he's not a top-end athlete. Um, but a really, really tough runner that a guy that's just going to make a roster because of that. And he could be, he ran his own scheme. Obviously, a Baylor um, can do that, on, especially inside zone at a very high level. He's a really intriguing one. Um, Ja'Shawn Corbin of Florida State, on a, on a Florida State that really struggled this year with not a lot of talent around him. He was really impressive. Um, complete guy. He's really developed as a pass catcher, but he's really known as being an interior zone blocking running back and takes advantage of big plays a lot too. He's not quite Dalvin Cook, but he turned the film on and maybe he sees a little Dalvin Cook of what he can do in the open field. Um, Isaiah Pacheco ran the fastest forward at the NFL combine. He's got top end speed, but again, he's really a great outside zone running, running back. And, and then I think a guy that NFL Southeast area scouts have been raving about since September, Ty Chandler of North Carolina. Um, one of the more well-liked guys by area scouts and now cross-checking scouts had a great North Carolina pro day NFL combine. He's a really explosive downhill, probably first and second down only to start his career running back, but a perfect zone running back scheme. I think people will be surprised if he goes third, fourth round. That's how much NFL teams like him right now. But if he's there on day three, I think he'd be a slam dunk pick to be got to work behind Saquon long term. You know, I think linebacker, Eric, is one of the toughest positions to scout now and to find because in the NFL, they're asked to do so much. Uh, it's just, yeah. you, you know, they're in really tough spots. And we see it. Even some of the guys that have picked really high, they struggle because you just it's a very tough position to play. So who are some of the guys that you've seen in college? And you can pick out anyone all across the board now that, that you've yeah. seen. You're like, you know what? I think this guy can can handle it because it's as much as being an athlete as it is being able to process and, and kind of figure everything out. Yeah, uh, Jojo Doman jumps out in Nebraska. He was a really, really exciting player to watch just because he can legitimately cover um, receivers and tight ends at a high level. I think he's really impressive. Terrell Bernard with Baylor for a different reason. Explosive, dynamic, downhill player. Uh, Jack Sanborn of Wisconsin, guy who's played multiple linebacker spots in his college career. Um, 
DQ Thomas of Middle Tennessee, one of my favorite sleepers, really, really impressive athletes. I know teams that have third round grades on him, but a Middle Tennessee State sleeper who's a former safety linebacker, adding more weight, but a really, really impressive athlete. Um, both Colorado linebackers, Carson Wells, more of an edge rusher who could also play some stand up. And then Nate Landman, who I think is arguably the best run defending linebacker in this draft class. He's only can do that, but I think he's really, really impressive at it. But I think overall the linebacker, linebacker board really picks up on a, on day three. The one guy who I've, I've, I've really loved since before the year and really appreciate this year, Troy Anderson of Montana state. Oh, I think if you great. have a linebacker need, um, he's a guy that I remember calling an area scout in like late September. I'm like, are you watching him right now? If you see what I've seen, like, I just let's give him a second round grade. This is a Montana state kid uh, in September, but that's how early we were on Troy, Troy Anderson being a special player. I think he he'll be the linebacker from this draft class that after the Devin Lloyds of the world, we'll say that was the guy we should have taken earlier in the draft. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I, you know, I didn't know when I, when I showed up in mobile for the senior bowl, I had obviously no idea who Troy Anderson was. Right. Then I watched him. And he's, I mean, he, I think forced, it was red zone one-on-ones, which is, you know, for linebackers, it's death. You're in yeah. space. It, it, it's, it's extremely difficult. He broke up like three or four straight passes. I'm like, this yep. guy from Montana State's covering tight ends and running backs on ISO routes. I couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's really impressed. I mean, he's still getting better as a run defender, but the coverage instincts are there. It comes from being a former quarterback. And yeah. I joke all the time. I, I, I would take him over Taysom Hill at most positions, right? If I'm playing quarterback, I'm going to take Troy Anderson. He was really good there. Tight end, we'll see. So I think he's he's a lot like if Taysom Hill was a linebacker in college supposed to playing quarterback. That's what I think Troy Anderson is, and I think a lot of teams are going to feel by him. Again, I, I think he'll go early round two. I think that's how impressive he is and how much teams are going to like the upside with him. All right, let's do, uh, let's do a couple of fun ones before we say goodbye. Yeah. Who's the guy that, you know, draft, Twitter, Roddy, internet, scout guys love – that you talk to people around the league and you're like, you guys might pump your brakes there a little bit. The league doesn't feel as good about this guy as you all do. It's a good question. Um, and it's uh, Trey McBride um, is one that jumps out. I think that teams are a little bit cautious of him not being a special athlete as a tight end and in a loaded tight end class. They shouldn't say loaded, a really deep tight end class on day two. I think some teams are not quite as high on him. Um, I think the Garrett Wilson and Drake London are two receivers that people have really, you know, going top 10 in mock drafts. I think some teams are more like, ah, I'm not really sure about those guys. And Garrett, it's, it's really explosive, but is he an NFL receiver right away in a real role? Drake London, I think a lot of teams like myself are still scared off from the Laquan Treadwell, Josh Jackson era of receivers who just didn't work out, who were good athletes. So those two guys jump out quite a bit as far as the, the top tier guys that are like, hey, you know what? Maybe teams aren't really as high on them. And the other side of the coin, guys like George Pickens of Georgia, to Marvin Leal of AM, like those guys are our top 15, top 20 on our board and for some teams as well. I think those guys will go a little earlier than people expect. Okay. Well, that that was that that was gonna be the second part of my question. Sorry. No, that no, that's great. No, that's <laughs> fine. Uh yeah. Anyone else where you're like, yo, you guys, you guys are sleeping on these guys. These guys are gonna go a lot higher than maybe the public might expect. You know, who's gonna be that first round guy where people are like, whoa, we didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um I feel like I haven't seen enough mock drafts to know who's really be a surprise. I think Kahir Elam, I mentioned from Florida, is yep. one that jumps out. Perion Winfrey of Oklahoma should be a first-round pick as well. Um, Jaquan Brisker of Penn State, just because the safety class not that deep, he yeah. may be a surprise one as well, too. Um, but I think I think people are always surprised when I kind of mentioned Tyler Smith of Tulsa. Again, he'll go in the top 25 picks. He's too talented, and offensive lines are too important. But, but I think we'll, we'll see a more, I think as of right now, tame – 
first round. I think the real question for me is how many quarterbacks go right now. I've got two earmarked for round one, but that'll determine a lot about the surprise that could happen around one. Yeah. And you might have that team that trades up to like 32, right. To get the fifth year option on a guy, something like that. And you might sneak in the third with that pick. Let me ask you about Tyler Smith. You mentioned him a couple times. I watched him last week, boy, I see the talent, but some of the pass pro tackle, like you fall off your chair. Like has someone like taught him how to have, had a pass, but his arms are all over the place. It's he's it's kind of it's kind of messy. Do you think teams though think if we get him into that smaller box as a guard, he'd be yeah. okay? Or is this more of a long-term, you know, play a guard, train a tackle, maybe at some point move him outside? No, I, I think it's honestly he reminds me a lot of a younger Zach Martin at uh, Notre Dame, where I think, like, hey, I think one more year at Tulsa or kind of almost a red shirt year in the NFL, and you're gonna get Zach Martin maybe better at left guard. And if you told the team I can wow. do a, a Larry Bird draft, take a guy in, in, and get him next year at left guard. I'll do that in a heartbeat. So I think that's why teams like Tower Smith so much. I think the upside's there. He's only, what, 20, 21 years old. Um, he's a really good kid. He's really motivated. He's really tough. And, like, he has all the traits. And you're just telling me that, hey, maybe in six, seven months, I can fix a lot of these problems. Yeah, I'll take that guy right now and, and maybe slowly get him involved for sure. And we kind of under overappreciate sometimes how most teams don't expect their first, second round picks to play day one. Some teams do in some positions they do. But if you're telling me that the back end of his rookie year, Tyler Smith may have figured out a lot of those pass protection issues at guard and be ready to go, then I'll take that right away. So I think that's why teams are, they see the rawness, but character wise, toughness wise, motivation wise, work ethic wise, all those boxes are, are a plus for Tyler Smith. And again, I think that's why teams in that kind of late teens, early twenties, those fringe playoff teams or future playoff teams, like the chargers, like the Steelers, like the, uh, Patriots are all going to want a guy like him in their locker room. All right, final question. Let's have some fun. Yeah. Giants picks, 5, 7, and 36. You're on the record. What do you got for me? I can't predict trade down. Can I predict a trade yeah, down sure, at five? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Predict I'll say trades. trade Go down at it. five to the Saints, um, and I'll say they trade down from the fifth pick to the 18th pick. Ooh, I like that. And 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 they're getting the Saints first-round pick next year for that, I'm yeah. assuming? Uh, yeah, something like that. Or second-round pick and more picks this year. But, yeah, they'll, they'll get a good haul, I think. Just say, Saints are more of a, of a guess, but – could be a good spot for the both teams. All right, I like that. And seven, do, do they still get their offensive tackle at seven then? I, I think Ahmad Gardner. I, I wonder the Ooh. Giants long-term at, at offensive line. But I think if, if Andrew's good, if you have a left tackle, that's good. And you can kind of buy time at guard. Maybe it's worthwhile to take the top-end corner in this draft class. Okay, so then they and then got a eight, corner. and so 18. Well, yeah, now 18. I got to ask you for 18. That's a tough one. What do you got? I, I like linebacker. I think guys like Devin Lloyd are really, really valuable in that scheme. And I think having a top end linebacker saying, Hey, now we got a corner, got a linebacker. We certainly have defensive tackle talent. I think all three levels of your defense feel in a pretty good spot. Oh, I like it. Now, and now give me 36. Tempting to go boy. Mafia mentioned him earlier. Um, but I'll say that at 36, let's say Jamare Sawyer at offensive line. I think you add him, he can be a guard, tackle, a couple spots. But I think 36 is maybe the spot where you're hoping an offensive lineman falls, but that's kind of the spot that if a guy like Sawyer who can be a couple spots and be a starter right away can be really valuable, that's, I think, a great draft for the Giants. And more day two picks and hopefully future 2023 picks. And well, 2023 will be a loaded draft class as well. So stockpiling future years for a Giants team is a really good move. I love Jamari Sawyer. So tell me there's no chance they're going to get him in the top round three. He's not Probably not. It. Again, it's, it's too valuable for offensive line, but after yeah. him, it kind of falls off pretty quickly. So, no, nah, I'm with you. Look, I, I, <laughs> I think Sally will be a fantastic guard in the league for a long time. Eric, great stuff. Tell the folks where they can find you. Anything you want to put out there about the West Shrine Ball? I know you guys had a great year this year. Tell the folks anything that you want them to know. 
Yeah, appreciate it. No, East West Shrine Bowl will have uh, more draft picks this year than they've had in the last 25 years. I'm really proud of that my first year with the event. So it's going to be fun to follow and work with these guys the rest of the draft process. Again, the Shrine Bowl will be at a location TBD, but it'll be sometime again in, in early February next year, man. So we're really excited for it. You guys were in Vegas this year. Is that correct? We were in Vegas this year and Vegas is pretty appealing. Maybe we'll be back there again next year. Vegas is pretty cool if you haven't been out there in a while. So, um, but we'll have a, a new location or a, that location again and, and more travel updates coming soon. But we're really excited for, for 2023 as we aim to have a, a best in class all-star game experience. Eric, great stuff, man. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, buddy. Eric Galco, we thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle Podcast.